Welcome to the Fit for Privacy podcast with Punit Bhatia. This is the podcast for those who care about their privacy. Here, your host, Punit Bhatia, has conversations with industry leaders about their perspectives, ideas, and opinions relating to privacy, data protection, and related matters. Be aware that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not legal advice. Let us get started. Should data maps be at the heart of any governance program? What is the correlation between data maps, structured data, and unstructured data? All this and more with a special guest who has over 30 years of experience, served in the executive leadership team of Intel, and now has his own company. And I'm talking about none other than Dan Clark. Let's listen to him. Here we are with Dan Clark. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on a, a podcast related to privacy. I love privacy. Thank you so much. And maybe then the question is, what's your story? How did you get into privacy and how did you fall in love with privacy? You know, it's, it's kind of funny because I'm an ex-Intel executive and I got a call from an Intel executive when GDPR was on the horizon. Um, he's a senior person there, runs the retail group and he uh, was part of a big retail uh, panel in the U.S., and he kind of for the first time heard about GDPR, and he asked me if we'd be interested in doing a project uh, on this. And at first, I was like, we do mostly software compliance, uh, security and compliance for big companies is our core business before we got this phone call. And I was kind of, I don't know, I'm not really sure if this is something we want to do. And then a couple days later, I had something happen to me personally. So I have a, a, a great girlfriend. Uh, she's a, a doctor. She's an Iron Man. Uh, she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. And we had been together for about a year at this point. Um, and she comes to me and she says, uh, I, we have a big problem in our relationship. I can see that you're still on one of the dating apps. In fact, I saw that you, that you connected with one of my girlfriends and and this is not the kind of relationship I want to be in. And I was like, wait a minute. I, I swear to you, nothing. That is absolutely not true. I have, I, yes, I was on dating apps before I met you, but absolutely the day we met, I got off of everything. I, you know, swear to this. And I ended up researching this a little bit and I ended up um, contacting this, this particular dating app. And they're like, oh, yeah, you turned your account off, but we have a right to keep your profile active for up to three additional years. It's right in the, the, the terms and conditions, you know, the really detailed stuff. And I'm like, no, I want you to delete all my stuff. And they're like, no, I don't think so. And for me, this created a serious tension in my relationship that is actually solved by privacy laws. Because under a privacy law, I would absolutely have a right to... To, to request my deletion, the deletion of my account um, under GDPR, under CCPA, under PIPEDA, or any of them. And this, for me, highlighted why we need these, these laws in place in the first place. And it's, it's always created a personal connection for me to the privacy space uh, where it's, it's something that we need. We should have these rights ourselves. And, uh, and I feel very passionately about that, even to this day. That's very interesting and very touching. So I, I'm sure why you are in love with privacy then. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
exactly. I'm in love with her. And this was uh, a, definitely a bump in the road many years ago. Absolutely. So it, it seems like it was around six or maybe it was around 2015, 16, because that's the time GDPR was coming. Yeah, it was a little, it was June of, of let's see, June of 17, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, because here in the U.S., we were just a little bit behind the the <laughs> the EU in, in figuring out that GDPR was going to be a big deal um, and it was on, on the horizon. And, you know, as we started to investigate this with our partner Intel, what we found was many U.S. companies were really very woefully unprepared for the privacy laws that were that were pending that were going to start uh, um, that were going to start materializing with Europe at the forefront. But as you've seen, and as Intel actually correctly predicted, they uh, they saw that this wasn't going to be exclusively a European thing. You know that that they saw it on the horizon, and they knew that this was going to be you know become relatively uh, universal. And in fact, at first, what we were going to do for Intel was actually just develop a, a compliance platform for them. There weren't really any readily available, nobody based in the US at the time. Uh, they wanted a very, very high degree of automation. And so they essentially asked us to, um, to develop that initially just for them. And then as we kind of got into it a little bit more, we realized that really the whole marketplace needed something like this in the US. And that's how we ended up with what we call Trio today, which is a joint venture between uh, my company, InterEdge, and Intel, that is uh, an automation tool, an automation platform for privacy compliance. And what does Trio do? I mean, is it a full end-to-end -end privacy compliance or is it parts of it? Yeah, so we, we're full end-to-end -end now. We started, though, with uh, automation of, uh, of DSAR fulfillment. So, so InterEdge is about an 1,800-person software development company with uh, large clients that trust uh, security work to us and large database work, work to us. So we're very good at integrations and connections. So that's kind of where we started was, was with a, a deep understanding of how to integrate in a secure environment. So what we started doing for Intel and what we do now for everybody is a, a, a true touchless automation approach to fulfillment of access requests. And so that is a request for information going out to you know, often many systems. You have to go to databases, you have to go to Salesforce, you have to go to your CRM, your email system, stuff like that. And we assemble that in an automated way. Um, we do combine it with manual work if necessary. But we have many, many connectors that, that span those systems. And that's really where we started. And then as we, we built that vertical, very, you know, very deep um, automation and connections in the backend systems, we started leveraging that into the rest of the privacy elements with uh, impact assessments, uh, data mapping, um, vendor management, uh, risk assessment, risk management. So, so we really, I believe, have a very comprehensive and complete uh, platform today but we started really with a foundation of integrations and of, of high degree of automation. And that's where my experience comes from, by the way. I'm not an attorney. Um, I'm not, I don't have all of the certifications that, that you do in, in privacy, you know, but I do have uh, you know, 130 large customers that trust us 
to do a, a highly automated job of keeping up with uh, the privacy landscape and fulfilling requests and all the other pieces in an automated way. Okay, that's interesting. By the way, I'm also not an attorney, so I'm not a law person, but I'm an engineer and then an MBA. But yes, I did the CIPPE and CIPM, and now what we do is, uh, as part of our services fit for privacy, we also offer that as a certification approach, which is a completely on-demand online course. But let me ask you a question. I know you are in love with privacy and GDPR is complex and all that, but when you think about GDPR, what's the one word that comes to your mind? Transparency. Transparency. Transparency would be the number one word. Because if you think about the, you know, how much teeth GDPR has in enforcement, yes, we've seen some, some enforcement actions. Yes, we've seen maybe a touch of private action even, um, and, there, and that is certainly picking up more and more. But I think number one at the forefront of, of any privacy law, in particular of GDPR, is just transparency of, you know, what data do you have on me and what are you doing with my data? You know, when, when the, this was very first explained to me uh, by a, a very knowledgeable guy named Thomas Nielsen, who was at yeah. Deutsche Bank at the time, um, he's he's off at a fund now, but uh, when when Thomas for the very first time explained to me what transparency was, he said, you know, what it really comes down to is what data does somebody have on yeah. me, and how do they use it? And right now, before GDPR, uh, you didn't have to disclose that. And no. after GDPR, at at the very minimum, you have to tell people what you're doing. And I remember asking him, like, well. Just because I know about it, how does that really help me? Yeah. He said, well, because then you can make choices. You have consumer groups that, that might investigate this and protest you know, invasive practices and things like this. And certainly at the individual level, you can decide to make a choice now. Is it worth the service that I'm getting for whatever uh, amount of um, information and tracking they're doing on me? Right. And the fundamental to enabling transparency is having a good governance program in place, basically uh, data governance or privacy governance, and maybe both hand in hand. And then one of the fundamental elements in a privacy program is to establish a data inventory or a record of processing activity. And with that goes what we call data maps. That is what data is being collected, where, where is it flowing and how, what's the life cycle of it? So why do you think data maps should be a core component or at the heart of any privacy governance program? So I absolutely believe that the data map is the is the core and is the most important element of, of uh, any governance program and certainly a privacy program. We didn't start that way. As I mentioned, we started with really automating the fulfillment of, of access requests because that's the recurring operational burden on a company. And we didn't really start with data mapping. and we quickly realized that without a good data map, you just can't have an effective governance program. If you just start with the concept of transparency, if you're a, a good actor and you're trying to do the right things, like so many companies out there, and I'd say every one of our customers, that you're trying to do the right thing, how can you do the right thing if you don't know what data you're collecting and how you're using it? So at the very first point of, of privacy, that transparency element, the company needs to know and understand just what am I collecting and what am I doing with this data? 
as you you move forward in your your journey though of privacy and, and governance, you find that that data map is at the heart of so much of your work. Yeah, this comes uh, particularly important in an incident response. Um, we had a, a a customer with an incident not too long ago, and we got involved in uh, in the forensic analysis and then in the the notification phase. And what we found was the data map was the most important piece to this because you have to know where was this data collected, where did it go, you know, who did we send it to, what vendors, what third parties, what systems are are leveraging that data, how sensitive is it, and that you can only find out from from your data map. And in fact, what we've seen um, is that this is now becoming more and more important to cyber insurance carriers. Uh, I did a, a webinar about two weeks ago with um, one of the underwriters from uh, Martian McLenna, which is a, a very large uh, cyber insurance broker here in the United States. And they talked about the importance of, of the data map uh, and, and almost the, the number one thing they wanted to see. What we've seen with cyber rates is if you can get your policy renewed, which a lot of people can't, but if you can get it renewed, premiums are going up 40% or even more. Uh, and what can you do about that? You can show the, the underwriter that, hey, at least I have a handle on my data. I know where my data is. I have processes in place to track it. Um, so it's, it's, it's very much, uh, I think, the center point of most uh, compliance companies. And I'll just mention one other thing that's important about the data map, and that is kind of bringing together the various pieces in your company. You know, so many privacy officers, I think they're not contributing revenue to the company, and so they're a little bit shy about engaging yeah. their, their peers and, and often, you know, kind of want to be blend into the background as much as they can. But a place where they can raise their hand and say, hey, I'm on a topic that's important to the company. This is a board-level conversation. This is a C-level conversation yeah. is around the cyber secure the cybersecurity um, policy renewal and incident response. And they can say, look, I can add a lot of value here through the data mapping exercise. I can have an independent data map. So even in an encryption event, I will have an independent source for this. Um, and I'll keep this up to date. We've got policies in place to make sure that that as things change, they were notified. And it's a place where actually that privacy officer often can shine and can bring added value to the organization rather than just being kind of a checkbox of, of compliance. Absolutely. And I think they can not only they do it from cybersecurity perspective, they can even link it to the marketing or analytics or digital teams, which are looking to say we want to leverage data, we want to be a data-oriented company, but how do you become a data-powered company? You got to know your data, you got to have your data flows in place, and only then you can make your maps and say, hey, how do, we can do this with this data, but you got to have that data. But linked to, I was about to say something. It's just, it's so important to understand where your data is, and it sounds so simple, but as we go through the, you know, we have an automated data mapping tool so as we connect to systems, um, we automatically create a draft data map. And you know, you connect to your CRM and it's like, okay, here's the 27 fields. Our AI engine is yeah. cat categorized them in this way. You know, there's three of them we don't understand. Please tell us how those are used. And what you get from the company is like, 
I have no idea what those three fields are. Like, what, what, did, where do, why are we collecting the, we had one that was like, they were collecting information about their delivery company. They were collecting information about the type of pet that the person had in the home, you know, large, medium, small dog or what they were. And, mm -hmm. and, and they were like, nobody really knows why we have this information. And it's, it's surprising how often this comes up with companies when you start, especially when you start adding some automated tools to collect that, um, that data map, you start to create some questions in the organization. And, you know, if you end up with any data fields in your data map that you don't know what it's for, then you shouldn't be collecting that information. Absolutely. That's the first thing, because when you get in control of your data, you look at what's the legitimate basis of processing. And sometimes you don't have any legitimate processing need reason and or a need. And then you say, let's stop collecting it. But when we talk about all this, this is all about structured data. But we all know that organizations also have something like files, SharePoints, emails, and who, God knows where all the data is stored. And we call that unstructured data. So when we talk about these data maps, do they relate to structured data, which is natural, but do they also relate to unstructured data? And if they are, why should they relate to unstructured data as well? So you have to, you have, to have the continuum of data because companies have data. They, we tend to think of it as, I'm an engineer as well, we tend to think of it as structured versus unstructured data. You know, <laughs> what's in a database versus what's in a text message. Right. But in reality, governance applies to data, all kinds of data, whether it's in a spreadsheet uh, or a PDF file or a text message or a, or a structured uh, system like a database or a, or a CRM. And for us at, at Trio, we're very strong in structured data. You know, we have hundreds of connectors into structured data systems. We're very, very good at that. We really didn't extend our platform into unstructured data and so we, we created a, a new partnership with Ignite. And Ignite is a, uh, like, a like a SharePoint um, kind of system, but it's also used for governance. They're very strong in unstructured data, in text messages, in PDFs, in emails, in shared data uh, locations. Mm -hmm. And so we've correct, created a very tight integration between our two systems so that you can have governance programs and privacy programs that span both sides. We've done that relatively recently because at least in the US, the maturity model is that most companies kind of started with the structured data. For one thing, it's where more of the data is, uh, more rows of data and, and more pieces of data tend to be in structured systems. Unstructured systems tend to be a lot harder to get to. And yep. they also tend to be, um, at least in the US under CCPA, employment data isn't in scope yet. It will be under CPRA, you know, so in, in, in 14 months it'll be in scope, but it's not in scope today. So you could focus on the structured systems kind of like we did, but, but very soon we have to get into those uh, unstructured repositories as well. And so our partnership with Ignite allows you to have really kind of best of breed in, in structured coming together with best of breed in, in unstructured. And so our data mapping capabilities, our DSAR fulfillment capabilities, uh, assessment, vendor management, risk management, but especially data mapping is now shared 
between those um, those two systems, all the unstructured stuff through Ignite and all the structured stuff through us, it's really becoming important because there's no exemption under GDPR for yeah. well, that's just a text message. I don't have to I don't have to have governance over that. There's no such thing. You have to have all of those pieces and you have to span all those pieces of, of data. And the first step in that is just understanding where it is. And often yeah. there's a journey, you know, there's a lineage to that unstructured data where somebody took something that was structured and added it to an email as an attachment. And it became unstructured from that kind of origination and structured system. So we can kind of track that evolution and governance uh, and we can understand where pieces fit together. But most importantly, when you're fulfilling a privacy request, a delete request um, in particular, but, but just an access request, we can now span all of those systems. And now we can span all of the systems in your, in your data map. Makes sense. And I think it's always good and relatively easier to first start with the structured data. And then when you've done that, when you're in control of that, you start looking at unstructured data. And that's where people are surprised. But you mentioned that privacy professionals are not leveraging the value of data maps or value of data inventory as much as they should. Is there any other big mistake that privacy professionals are making in your view, especially in context of data governance or privacy governance? I think that that the the privacy department isn't raising their hand enough to add value to the rest of the organization more proactively. And I see this in some organizations where they're maybe a little bit more mature, where they're raising their hand. And as you said, the marketing department wants data. They want yep. lots of data and they need a legal basis to be able to use and leverage that data. And the privacy department doesn't have to just be about checking the box for compliance and sitting in the back room and, and fulfilling access requests. They can actually take a more proactive role and say, I have a data map. Um, this can be used in, in cybersecurity, as we talked about. It can be used in incident response that we talked about. It can be used in understanding of, um, of our data and our data journey. But I, I'm starting to see more and more creations of data lakes by privacy and governance departments they need it. They, they need a data lake. They need access to everything in order to provide a proper governance. But now that you have a data lake, you can actually leverage that in high value situations in marketing and in sales and in, in many other elements. So I would encourage privacy professionals to think about, you know, to a certain degree, stepping up the visibility of their role by being a little bit more proactive in the data lake in the, the data map and in being able to sort of leverage that, that extensive data that you have access to. And this might be a great way for you to advance the, uh, the, the spotlight on what you bring to a company in the first place. That's so true. And if we look at, we have data governance, we have data maps, we have data inventory and data, data, data everywhere. This needs then some sort of automation. Because unless and until you automate, you cannot have sustainable compliance with the privacy law. So in your view, what should be automated, where it should be automated so that the compliance with privacy laws becomes relatively manageable? Because there are so many dimensions and maintaining and managing that is a, is a big, big challenge. 
Yeah, so I think automation is is a key. Obviously, our platform Trio is built around automation, but we we really believe in full automation of everything. You know, we we believe in automation first of all of verification and validation of the person. You really want to make sure this is the person that they say they are because if you're giving the data to the wrong person, you're actually creating a, an event by yourself. So you got to start with that verification and validation. We're starting to see a big rise in the popularity of agents in the US. So these mm-hmm. are third parties that can submit requests on behalf of others. You know, yep. companies like Samine and Privacy B and Consumer Report and Tap My Data and many, many others. We've seen about 20, more than 20 of them active in our networks. These guys, you want to make sure that they have real permission from the consumer. You want to automate all of that and make sure that this is really uh, relevant and correct. Um, so you got to start with that front end. You got to automate the back end, the reporting, because eventually you're going to get asked for um, for proof that you had permission, that you were allowed to do this. And you have to have that evidence and you need to automate all that. We write everything into a blockchain so that it's, uh, or to an immutable ledger so that it's, it's uh, protected and it's, it's defensible. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, the, I hope that was not a breach. That was not a breach. I think some books <laughs> fell out of my bookshelf over there. I don't know what happened there. Um, but uh, we, we then believe in automation of the middle too, which is all of that fulfillment of access requests, fulfillment of even deletion requests, because you end up where if you don't have a full set of automation, you start to introduce the potential for human error. So at any volume, we recommend automation. Now, of course, this is our core competency. We have hundreds of connectors to systems to help aid in that uh, automation. But something that we've added more recently is automation around that data inventory and data mapping. And Part of it is for that initial map. You know, you do impact assessments, you do risk management assessments and things like that. You do an initial data map. Even if you're very thorough with it, you can do that manually, but how do you keep up with it? Because things are constantly changing. You know, somebody adds a field, somebody takes away a field. Um, Automating all of those pieces we believe in as well, even all the way through your vendor management. We get vendor attestation Uh, for compliance automatically. We automatically send things to a vendor that says, hey, we've sent you the following six data fields. Please confirm that those are the only ones that you have. Please confirm this is your policy. And you'd be surprised how often we get exceptions to this where the vendor goes, oh, no, wait a minute. You also send me phone number. And, And you're like, wait a minute, that has to be in the data map. And then as you start to get the importance of assessments you guys have been doing assessments in GDPR for a while. In the US, we've kind of lagged behind that because under CCPA, you don't have to do assessments. But the new laws, the CPRA, the Virginia law, and particularly the Colorado law, which goes into effect in, you know, in 2023, require assessments and they require data mapping and they require you to keep it up to date. How are you reasonably going to do that without automation. And then, you know, finally, I'll just talk about cost for a second. You know, it it costs a little bit of money to have a platform like ours that's highly automated. But in reality, it's much, much less expensive to operate. You don't need a department of people when you have high degrees of automation. 
and you don't run the risks of manual intervention, of making mistakes or missing deadlines or things like that. So we're huge believers in, in true automation really of every piece. And you want them all to interrelate too. If you put something in an assessment that's a data field, you know, you want to make sure that propagates down to the vendor automatically who's using and leveraging that data. And you want to make sure that the usage map is tied together and your exceptions for when, you know, when somebody makes a delete request and you're using it in a, in a way that's uh, required for tax purposes or something like that, you want to make sure all this stuff is tied together. So you're only, only entering things one time and you're observing things one time and your system is helping you keep up with things. Um, in fact, as, as part of our Ignite partnership, we really built this platform for true enterprise customers. And our core uh, competency and our core customer base is large enterprise companies. But we're starting to bring that now down to the mid-range companies because mid-range companies need this too. Even they don't have maybe the volume of requests, they still need automation to keep up with what's changing in the landscape and all the new laws and all the new interpretations and especially keeping up with that data map. So we're, we're big believers in automation and, and that's really the foundation of our platform. Absolutely. So we started with the data maps, the inventory, the data governance, and then we talked about the automation and setting your privacy landscape. But now the next question that companies are facing is as they complete this, they are hit by especially the global companies or those who operate in multiple countries. They are usually getting hit by one law or the other law in another country. And then what it means is they are having to comply with multiple privacy laws. And every few months, a new privacy law is coming. So how does one maintain privacy compliance in a situation when there's a new privacy law coming every few months? Yeah, I, honestly, I don't know how companies do it outside of using a platform because we we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort keeping up with that landscape. You know, the Colorado law, the Virginia law, they added a whole new concept. If you took all of the laws and added them all together, there was no concept of this right to appeal. And the right to appeal has uh, been added now in Virginia and it was copied by Colorado. It has to have a different workflow than your, your core rights that in fulfillment. So we had, this was a pretty heavy lift for us to add to our platform, um, but for our customers, it just says Colorado, check here. You know, and now you're compliant with Colorado. Um, now you can go in and customize that because there is some gray area in the way you, you handle it. Um, the same thing, you know, India is very likely to have a law yeah. Uh, soon. We've been keeping track of that and being involved there. Uh, the United Arab Immigrants kind of surprisingly passed a law uh, just two weeks ago. Yeah. And when, when you dig into that law, it's like, well, it's kind of like GDPR, but it's not. And there's, it's yeah. always these caveats and exceptions because at the very top level, they kind of look the same. It's like it's another privacy law. But as soon as you you peel the onion back and you start to look at it and you're like, wait a minute, that's different. You know, that, wait, that applies to hospitals and, and healthcare providers and nobody else's did. And, oh my gosh, there's a whole new, there's a whole new requirement. Oh, and there's an evidentiary requirement here that you have to do that's different. I, I really think for privacy professionals, you're just better off 
you know, maybe next year budgeting for a platform if you don't have one, because if you don't have a platform that is as a group helping to keep up with this stuff, I think it's really, really challenging um, as an individual. I'll, I'll kind of put that back on you though. What do you think? Is there, can you really realistically keep up with this whole landscape as one privacy professional or do you need, you know, do you need a village to keep up with this? I would say you've got to start with a privacy policy, get it implemented, and then get in automation in place. Because once you have the fundamentals in place, you need something to manage. Of course, there's the other, other option of starting with a tool, but I recommend one of the two. But I don't recommend you buy a tool, have no policy, no approach, and then it's a chaos. So got to have some privacy strategy, got to have some privacy approach and a policy, and then the tool needs to kick in or jump in so that it assists you to manage that policy, manage that structure, because you got to know how your companies are, or the regions are structured. Are they in a federated structure or in a global structure? Based on that, you will choose your privacy approach. Is it going to be federated? Is it going to be centralized? Or is it going to be hybrid? And that determines when, who needs to buy tools and how the tools will be used, what your privacy policy would be or privacy policies would be, and then that drives your privacy implementation. But some of the times what I see is there's somebody who heard a good tool, went to a conference and they buy a tool and they think the privacy will be done. No, it's complementary. You got to have your strategy and policy combined with the tool. So it's not either or, it's both. Yeah, I agree. You have to have a strategy that that the tool implements. Uh, yeah. it, it can't just be starting with the tool. You know, I, I certainly agree with that. I, I do think we didn't really talk about cookie much in this no, conversation. But that's another place where, um, you know, we have a, 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 a cookie compliance product as well that uh, the scanning becomes very, very important. Yep, indeed. And, and, you know, whether, you know, in our, our scanner, you can um, you certainly run it to start with, but then you you need to put it on a regular schedule. You know, maybe not daily, but weekly or something like that, because yeah. it changes. It, it's very dynamic, and it's it's especially for larger organizations or multinational organizations. There's so much complexity to this. You can have collisions. How does it integrate with with do not sell requests, do not track requests with the global um, privacy? Uh, do not track requests. You know, that also, I think that almost is the hardest one to solve without automation. And it, it yeah. just and occurred to me, we hadn't really talked about it yet. But I think more than automation, that needs some changes in the law or the way cookies are managed. Because at the moment, it's a nuance, a nuisance rather. Everywhere you go, there's a pop-up and the pop-ups are not implemented correctly. There's too much of variety. Some of them are too trust transparent, meaning making it difficult for customers. Some of them are... Uh, hardly transparent and that needs to change but one of the other things is you don't manage with one tool you need multiple tools and you need to get them to orchestrate together to deliver you full privacy compliance sometimes people think there's one tool and that's one well i wish it was so simple but it is not going to be privacy compliance is getting more and more complex and you need more and more automation more and more tools and more and more integration and that's why we need people like like yourself and the people you're training. And you know, tools I, like the ones you are providing and uh, Ignite that you talked about and even many other than Say Mine because Gal Ringel was here talking about Say Mine uh, a few months ago. Yeah, you know, it, and we've seen the importance grow of certifications like the IAPP certifications yeah. too. 
where for privacy professionals, it, it's one of the few things that the, the hiring manager at a company, you know, I'm, I'm a CEO, I am in the privacy business, but I'm used to running companies. And for the most part, most CEOs, most uh, senior executives, they don't, they can't really tell a good privacy professional from, from, from somebody who's less experienced. The certifications actually, I think, are very, very important in this space. And, and I think that's something you guys do, isn't it? Yeah, we also do it. We provide privacy certifications in an on-demand mode. So just uh, somebody picks up, there are about 60, 70 videos, somebody does it on it at his own pace and then a uh, practice exam so that they get comfortable. And more than uh, the perspective of certification, we also believe that there's practical knowledge around it. Let me get into some trick questions. And trick <laughs> questions is, if you had a choice between starting with a governance program or creating a data map, which one would you choose first? For me, I, I would choose the data map because I feel like governance needs to know where the data starts. And you could argue that you start with the strategy, but I feel like you have to start with that data map. It's practical and it, it typically reveals a lot of things the organization didn't understand and might actually modify the strategy. So I always recommend start with the data map. Okay, let's dig that a bit deeper because data map is mapping the data but before that there's the data discovery or getting to know your data that is having a data inventory what data i have where do i collect what do i do and then mapping it so if you had to choose between making a data inventory and making a data map which one would you do first you have to do the inventory first because oh. i don't i don't think you can come up with for most people i don't think you know, you know how to map your data without first doing an inventory so I think yeah. practically speaking, you you have to start with an inventory at least the first time. I'm fully in sync with you, so no comments on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then if you have to choose between having a privacy compliance approach in place and automating it, because we spoke about it, uh, how does it work from my perspective, which one first? First the approach or first the automation? You have to decide on your approach first, because yeah. it's, it's it's kind of why automate stuff before you really understand what your approach is. You, you need to come up with an approach. Um, often your policy drives a lot of the, the ways you do things. Right. And, and in fact, uh, the level of automation you need can be driven by your approach too. You know, if you're, if you're a company that's uh, like a US company that, that has the, the finance uh, exemptions under GLBA, you might not need a high degree of automation on fulfillment, you might need a high degree of automation on the the request and on evidentiary elements, but not on fulfillment. Whereas if you're, you know, somebody who's who's likely to get um, to be targeted by one of the uh, one of the companies we talked about that are agents, you know, you may need a high degree of automation around the operating elements more so than than the the legal elements. So I, and you always have to start with the approach and the concept. Makes sense. And it didn't feel like we asked you trick questions. They were so straightforward and simple for you. So let me ask you another thing. We've discussed a lot of things, a lot of aspects, and very quickly. What would be your one message to a privacy professional or a business owner who's listening here that they got to do? I think stand up and, and be noticed more. 
because mm-hmm. I think so many of privacy professionals have really tried to hang out in the shadows and just just you know try to be as as non-confrontational as possible and make as few waves as possible in your company. And I think today's a, a changing environment where you actually need to step forward and say, hey, wait a minute, this can't be an afterthought. You know, we really need to embrace privacy by design. We really need to embrace our our governance programs. This can actually be an advantage to us in trust by consumers, in trust by customers, in trust in the marketplace. It can allow us to leverage our data more heavily and and in a better way. And we can be much better prepared for uh, things like incidents, which unfortunately are probably in almost everybody's future. So I think this is a time to step forward a little bit more out of the shadows for, for many of our privacy professionals. Perfect, that makes perfect sense. So now based on this conversation, some says somebody says Dan is a great guy or Truo is a great product or maybe both of them and perhaps both of them, that's what we want them to say. How can they get in touch with you? So actually uh, you can go to trio.com, T-R-U-Y-O.com. And there's a, a, a request for information on trio.com, or you can go to my LinkedIn. It's uh, uh, Dan, D-A-N Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E. And I'm at InnerEdge is my company. Um, you're welcome to get in touch with me through, through LinkedIn. Um, I do quite a few of these kind of webinars as well. So about once a week, I typically do them with uh, attorneys because I'm not an attorney, so I kind of like to have that balanced perspective of, uh, of a prominent attorney along with uh, myself kind of from that operating view. So um, we do a lot of these informational webinars, especially around the US landscape where I'm, I'm deeply involved. But you know, please reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn or on trio.com. Perfect. So it didn't feel like a conversation and it didn't feel like we spent so much time but thank you so much for your time. It was very insightful and very passionate. I really enjoyed being on here and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to come back anytime. Thank you, Dan. Fit for Privacy helps you to create a culture of privacy and manage risks by creating, defining, and implementing a privacy strategy that includes delivering scenario-based training for your staff. We also help those who are looking to get certified in CIPPE, CIPM, and CIPT through on-demand courses that help you prepare and practice for certification exam. Want to know more? Visit www.fitforprivacy.com. That's www.fit4privacy.com. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, feel free to share it with a friend and write a review. If you have already done so, thank you so much. And if you did not like the show, don't bother and forget about it. Take care and stay safe. Until next time, goodbye. If you have questions or suggestions, feel free to drop an email at hello at fitforprivacy.com. That's hello at F-I-T, the number four, privacy.com.